to the cloud. Oh yeah, thanks, Sakirati, appreciate it. So we're recording now. Let me quickly check if the, yeah, I'm not sure if the Facebook Live also cut off, but anyway, I don't care too much if it did because, uh, no, anyway, I shouldn't say that. Back to the lecture. So, um, so the point was that there are these three tattvas. There's, there's the Bhagavan who's basically the, you know, the sambonum, sambonum of everything you could say. And then um, Bhagavan has these, these shaktis, the Swarup shakti or the internal potency and the jiva shakti, which is us, the, the living entities. And then there's the maya shakti or illusion. And so um, Bhaktivinoda, he was very much emphasizing this for the reason that he's trying to establish what is, according to Gaudiya Vedanta, what is the true function of the soul. And um, if you want to like explain a true function of an object or a thing, you really have to explain how it relates to the rest of the world or, or, or reality to, to really explain what that true function of that being or that object is. For example, like if you try to explain what the Dharma of a car is, it has, the car, the car has like no meaning in, in itself. It's always relational. It's always in relation to something else. In this case, to humans and their need or desire to move around, the transportation. So that's why Bhaktivinoda is emphasizing these different tattvas, these three different tattvas, Bhagavan, Jivas, and Maya, or the, the material energy. Because to really understand what our true nature is as Jivas, we have to understand the kind of like the field that we act in and basically the reality that we are a part of, what that constitutes. And so in this explanation, Bhaktivinoda is very much emphasizing the difference of the jivas from the rest of the existence and, and from Bhagavan, because he's basically, he's, he really wants to drive the point in, first of all, who he's talking to is a Mayavadi sannyasi who was a sannyasi for 12 years before showing up. So he's like hammering this point that the ultimate, um, uh, the ultimate uh, goal is not to merge. And, and like, we're not monists in that strict sense that there's only one substance and an illusion of, of like duality or whatever. And so from that point of view, it's very important, of course, what Bhaktivinoda is doing, that he's, he's showing that even in the post-liberated state, according to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, there is always the lover and the object of love, and that never goes away. Although that then the beta bade, there's the bade and abade, so difference and non-difference. And so the Abeda side um, is very important. And Bhaktivinoda doesn't emphasize this in the first chapter because he's laying the foundation for praying, basically, that requires the two. But really, I think for us as sadhakas and for as, as like practitioners in the West and in the global world, it's very important also to point out, even to non-devotees, that it's always it's never a duality in, in the pure sense. What we believe is the inconceivable duality and oneness at the same time. And if you think about the, the nature of like praying, the descriptions, of course, we don't have experience of it. We have some like faint flashes of some kind of Baba Bas sometimes. But if you think about how Prem has been described, it's very much an intense unity, so much so that in the, the madness of the gopis, you know, when they, um, they were left behind by Krishna after the Rasa dance, 
they started thinking that they were Krishna. Of course, they were not. They never were Krishna. But in their madness, their, their identification was so intense with the love of God and with Krishna himself that they actually thought in that moment that they are Krishna. And so they started acting out these lilas of Krishna as if they were Krishna, like, you know, somebody was the Kaliya snake and one gopi would, I guess, jump on the other gopi's back and ride it, ride the snake like Krishna did out of the lake and stuff like that. So that, I think that's a very important point uh, for us sadhakas to remember that we are not like separate from God in, in a way of like distance, you know, like, like we're here. And God is, you know, 1,700,000,000 miles away that direction in some like planet sitting on a throne, you know. And that's sometimes how it's spoken about. But really, that's just to use language to kind of use our frame of reference as embodied, embodied beings to like try to have us get a handle on the fact that we are um, derived beings or like uh, dependent beings who have this relationship with the ultimate reality or with with uh, reality itself who is a person my guru much likes to make this really fantastic point he's a, a real like a champion of these one-liner zingers so he says reality is a person and it's not you or you're not it or something like that i, I really very much like that one it's one of my favorites i would say but anyway, I better move on here. I get like stuck on these points because there's so much to say about each of these points. But let me just move on, move on here so we can get to the actual chapter for, for today. So today we're going to move on to the second chapter, which is called the Nitya Dharma of the Jiva is pure and eternal. So if you don't remember the terms, Nitya Dharma means like the constitutional uh, function of the soul so the constitutional function of the soul is pure and eternal is the name of of today's chapter the second chapter of jiva dharma and the chapter starts with two questions um there's been you know prem das babaji Maharaj has been in this like continuous state of ecstasy and praying so uh sanyasi Thakur hasn't been able to ask him a lot of questions but then an opening, you know, comes and um, and Sanyas Thakur is just like burning to ask all these questions because he's been for 12 years, he's been a Sanyasi and he hasn't had the spiritual taste. And now he's finally has connected with his guru and he's getting these answers that are just like pure chocolate cake for him. He's just like gorging on it. But it's, you know, you can imagine if you're super hungry and you have this like feast in front of you, but you can't access it because the feast is in Mahabhav. <laughs> <coughs> You, you can imagine how I would feel. So now, finally, uh, uh, Prem Das Baba comes out of his samadhi and, and Sanyas Thakur asks him these two questions. So based on the fact that in the first chapter, Prem Das Babaji Maharaj has been talking about turning away from God and like, like when we are, he was using this language like when we are created then first we have our true dharma but then we come in contact with some other objects or circumstances that change our true dharma into into this nisarga into this like uh acquired nature and so then sannyasi thakur is seems to be confused about this and then he asks his first question is well, actually, that's the second question. But the first question is, if the jiva is infinitely small, infinitely small, because this is what... Uh, and the jiva. So then Prem Das Babaji asks, if the jiva is infinitely small, like tiny, 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 how can his eternal full and pure basically i mean that's a really good question like if you are not if your uh, being is not like complete and pure and and like the totality of existence how can your dharma as that being be pure and complete so a very good question of course and then the second question is 
if the natural function of the jiva is formed at the time he's constituted, and that relates to Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, good. Freeze number one. Let's see how, how many more we're gonna get. So Ananga, did you guys hear the second question or no? Okay, so I'll repeat the second question. Second question was, if the natural function of the jiva is formed at the time he is constituted, how can that function be eternal? Because there's a beginning in time and it seems like it's uh, given at the time of the jiva's uh, creation or something and that like i mentioned that question must have sprung from the fact that or sprung from the fact that uh babaji maharaj was talking about uh the, the time of uh conditioning coming on at a certain time period of time and like at a certain time in history or, or however you want to mention it so then babaji maharaj starts answering and and he says basically that when we talk about the minuteness of the jiva, that's only to, let's say he worded it, Bhaktivinoda words it in a really cool way. He says, minuteness is only a trait by which the jiva is identified. And so my understanding what that sentence means is that, that just to separate between the jivas and the, and the Bhaga, and Bhagavan, Krishna, you have to point out the the smallness of the jiva but in a way it's all the same shakti and so in that way the minuteness is just a way of talking about the jivas but it's really you in some ways you can't really separate the jivas like that it's just a way of talking about it i have to think about that a little more i'm not fully clear on it but I thought I had a sense of it, but I wasn't able to put it to words like I thought I could. But anyway, we can talk, I can bring that up later on when I think about it a little more. And so um, then Bhavati Marx goes on to explain that actually the jivas are inseparable from uh, Krishna and that we have all the same qualities. We're like, in some ways, you could say we are constituted of the same substance, which is in the Vedantic terms is Satchit Ananda, which means we're eternal, we have eternal existence, or we are eternal existence, we're conscious, and we are constituted of bliss, basically. And so we are Satchit Ananda, and Krishna is Satchit Ananda. And in that way, we are of the same substance. We're qualitatively, we're of the same substance, but then my Guru Maharaj says, but quantitatively, we're not. And that really is in, in this like simplistic way, that is what the difference is between us and God. But it's good to remember that, that we really are like an extension of the Paramatma. And that uh, Bhaktivinoda explains this in his uh, Chaitanya Shikshastamrita. I think it's just, yeah. And so basically he says, we're extensions of the Paramatma. And because the Gaudiya preachers want to like separate our conception from the typical impersonalist conception of complete merging with the absolute, they really emphasize the difference a lot. But
Okay. That was, yeah, freeze number two on keeping count. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys heard what I said last. I said I was talking about how it's good for sadhakas to focus after we get over the hump of, of like understanding that we are separate from God in the way that we're not, we can't ever, well, we can, but we don't want to fully merge into him. After that, it's very useful for uh, sadhakas to understand how closely connected to God we are, how we really are the energy in a way i mean we're not and we are in a way that we are jeev shakti and shakti, but in a way we are the same energy that we are actually this extension of the paramatma in in our in the the jivas that are here in the world we have extended out of the paramatma we're kind of like the paramatma's glow in these like tiny little specks so like to me that's very beautiful to focus on that that like understanding that we are never separate from God. There's absolutely, we have absolute no, absolutely no existence outside of the existence of God. And that we actually are these like sparkles of, of God. Uh, it's, it's a very, I mean, to me, it's like a beautiful idea and a very useful to focus on that in my sadhana and understanding of like what we truly are. But maybe more on that later, because I have a lot of ground to cover here. Um, and then Premdas Babaji Maharaj goes on to explain that um, the reason really why, to answer the first question, how is it that we have a full perfect dharma, although we're so imperfect ourselves, he goes on to explain that uh, in the badha jiva condition or the conditioned state of a jiva, we are, uh, you know, fallible and weak and powerless. But as nitya siddha jivas, the kind of like beings that never came, never had the material experience, they have, they are like powerful. They are completely connected to God. They are like God's extensions in the real sense of being. Just like this, how do you explain it? Even like describe it, maybe this, some kind of like God's frequency, like radiating or something. The jivas are so closely connected to God that they are extremely powerful. And Babaji Maharaj wants to point that out to Sanyas Thakur that, that we as jivas have this weakness only when we are conditioned because of our minuteness. But in, in fact, jivas are, part of the Satchitananda reality, which is unlimitedly powerful. And um, then Babaji Maharaj goes on to explain how, again, he emphasizes how the Jiva's eternal Dharma or the Nitya Dharma is Krishna Prem. And the, pure, uh, the nature of that pure love is, is service to Krishna. That's really what it means. And uh, earlier, in the first chapter, um, Babaji Maharaj actually quoted the famous verse, Jivar Svarupoi Krishna Nitya Das, Krishna Svarup Shakti Beta Beta Prakash. And so I'm just a, just a slight uh, detour here because there's been a lot of talk about the inherency of bhakti in the Gaudiya world. Our Padmanabh Maharaj has been. Uh, forging quite the fight in the <laughs> Gaudiya scene. I mean, it's obviously not his fault, but there's been quite the quite the uh, rumble about this issue. And so a lot of times this verse is quoted to show that bhakti is inherent. But it's really interested in, interesting that in this context, Bhaktivinoda, when he quotes that verse, right after the verse, he goes on to give all these examples of how he gives this long list of things like um, that we are like the rays of the sun or the particles of the sun and Krishna is the sun and, and, and Krishna is infinite and we're infinitesimal and, and Krishna is the Lord and we're his servants and he's the attractor and we are the attracted. 
and and he goes on to like many many examples like that and then he says that therefore this is a direct quote therefore the eternal svabhav or dharma of the living entity is krishna dasya eternal service and obedience to krishna so really what he's saying is the verse is saying that we're servants of krishna because he is the some total of everything and where these tiny parks the sparks of krishna in that context he's not saying that we are krishna krishna nitya das because we have prem in our hearts but he's saying because of this what would you call it this power dynamic we are the eternal servants of the whole because we're tiny parts of the whole and we can never be separate from the whole just a little side point about that particular point um so then baba jimarj goes on to explain uh how the oh am i is it freezing again okay good no freezing um baba jimarj goes on to explain three levels of ego and so to like kind of explain how this these uh, different kind of dharmas come to being like there's one eternal dharma for for the jivas but somehow we have all these different conceptions of of dharma and so how that happens is we have our pure spiritual ego and then somehow this this material contamination or illusion uh covers it over and at first it covers over the um it's called linga sarira and it basically means the subtle subtle body sarira means body so it covers over the subtle body and you get the sense a separate sense of self that's the basis of the subtle bodies or the mental mental bodies uh false identification you have the sense that you are something else than an eternally uh an eternal part of of god and then that goes further into you you based based on that like mental image of yourself this body comes forward or bodies like material bodies come forward and that's when you when that like sense of separate self gets these different forms like i'm i'm a man i'm a woman you know whatever it is you know whatever you can think of i'm a, I'm a dog a squirrel a brahmana a shudra vaishya so on and that's where the huge variety of dharmas spring from because based on that false identification we think that our constitutional function is something that's actually just the covering that is covering our true function and so that's where all the different dharma spring and then babaji maharaj goes on further to explain different types he he separates the different types of dharmas into three categories he says there's nitya dharma naimittika dharma and anitya dharma and nitya dharma basically means that there's an understanding of bhagavan krishna and and love for god and that the soul is eternal and that the soul's function is to love god that's the nitya excuse me nitya dharma idea and the naimittika dharma idea is that the soul understands that there's god and that we that the soul is eternally existent but it's not interested because of desires it's not interested in pursuing love of god and so then from that springs all these temporary or uh, acquired nature and and temporary dharmas or uh, duties and and desires and then the last one is anitya dharma which means a temporary religion or temporary dharma and the character characteristics of that are that it doesn't recognize god or love of god or the etern eternality of the soul and in this context um bhaktivinod says that that buddhism is an extreme example of example of anitya dharma or uh, 
non-eternal religion. And this is a heavy statement for us, and we'll go more into this whole issue a little later, but uh, just bear with me a little bit more. Uh, then after hearing this explanation, Sanyasi Thakur asks, he has a question about uh, the Advaita Siddhi or the, the highest goal or attain, attainment of, of Advaita Vad or the impersonalist Mayavadi doctrine. And he asks that, is this the same as what Mahabhav is, which is the highest reach of Prem? Are these two uh, attainments the same thing? And he's a little embarrassed to ask it because I think he's, you know, guessing what the answer is, but, but he still says, this is in my heart and I don't want to hide anything from you because you're my guru. I want to be completely honest with you. So that's my question. And then um, Prem Das Babaji goes into this long explanation of, of who Shankar actually was. And the Gaudiya take on Shankar Acharya is that he's actually Shiva himself. And that there was a reason for Shiva to appear as Shankar uh, because there was this prevalent prevalence of Buddhism in India at the moment, which and part of Buddhism is that they reject the Vedas and the eternality of the soul. And according to the Gaudiya Vedanta idea, Shankar was this very powerful incarnation of Shiva who came to basically re-establish the faith in India or in that region to with the Vedas to, to re-establish their faith in the Vedas and to um, establish the eternality of the soul. And um, then Bhaktivinoda says through the mouth of Premdas Babaji, that um, basically the followers of that he, he for one thing he says is that Shankar never talked about um, the final attainment. He just he talked about spiritual life up to uh, liberation and nothing after liberation. And that uh, there's answering uh, Sanyasi Thakur's questions, he said that there's a lot of similarities between uh, Advaita Siddhi and Prem up to liberation in a way that they both believe that we have eternal souls that have nothing actually to do with the material nature or the material influence, but that we're covered over by Maya. And, and liberation means to get out of that influence of, of Maya. And so up to that point, the two paths are basically the same. And he also, he's, he says, get liberation from the point of view of completely releasing oneself from the material influence. Then you could, from that point of view, you could say that Advaita Siddhi is the same as Mahabhav. But then he goes further to explain that the fact is that Mahabhava is completely dependent on this idea of there being the lover, love, and the beloved, because you cannot have those frame-filled, love-filled dealings without having that dynamic of having the lover and the beloved, although they become one in love. Freeze number three, right? Okay, I'm back on. <laughs> and uh, so basically that's what he says. Um, so then Sanya Sitakor is very much convinced by this uh, explanation, but then he has another doubt. He says that, he says, I understand that Krishna Prem is the Nitya Dharma of the soul. But what should I make of the other religions in other cultures and countries? Like, how should I think about that? And now, so Prem Das Babaji says that Dharma is one, only one Dharma, and the measure of, of Vaishnav Dharma, because he made the point earlier that Vaishnav Dharma is the, the eternal function of the soul, 
And the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam what Vaishnava Dharma is. So now he says that Dharma is one, and the measure of Vaishnava Dharma in any religion or Dharma is the measure of its purity. And so then he cites this uh, incident that happened to him, Prem Das Babaji Maharaj. He tells the story to uh, Sanyasi Thakur of how he met Sanatan Goswami in this, in this assembly of highly advanced devotees. And, and Prem Das Babaji asked this question to Sanatan uh, Goswami. He specifically asked about the word ishk, ishk that's, uh, that means love in, um, in Arabic. And so he, because Sanatan Goswami uh, was very well read in, you know, the Farsi language of Parsi, I forget what name it is, but the, you know, the uh, Arabic languages and knew the culture and everything. He um, asked this question to Sanatan Goswami and basically his question was this word ishk, which means love in, in Arabic, does that mean pure prem or something else? And then Sanatan Goswami said that, that it, it's referring to either like physical or mental love. And that although some uh, Sufi and, uh, and Muslim mystics use it in the context of pure love of God, it's actually, it's not pure prayer. And the same goes for the word ru, which in Arabic means the soul and Sanatan Goswami said that according to his understanding, they're actually talking about the Badhasi Jiva or the, the conditioned soul and not the Shuddha Jiva that has no contact with the material realm. And then he goes on to say that he has not seen unadulterated love for Krishna taught in any other religion, whereas descriptions of Krishna Prem are common throughout the teachings of Vaishnava Dharma. So, see, this all sounds, of course, highly uh, sectarian, if you think about it from the point of view of somebody outside of our tradition, right? And uh, I, when, before I became a devotee, uh, the thing the, that most repelled me in organized religion was this fighting about who has the truth and how only our group has the truth and nobody else actually has it. Or that our group is the best and maybe we'll give some scraps for the other groups, but we're really the, the thing, you know, we're the, the best thing. And so like this kind of like sectarian biased view of, of other spiritual traditions based on your personal preferences that really, really bothered me. And, and that's the case with most non-religious people in the world. So how do we then harmonize this in our own tradition that it seems like Bhaktivinoda is basically saying that, that the real true spiritual substance is only found in full, uh, in full in our own tradition. Basically, he was saying that uh, the followers of Advaita Vedanta uh, have completely distorted Shankar's, Shankaracharya's teachings. He said that Maya and that, that Buddhists are an extreme example of, of um, Anitya Dharma, this like temporary religion. Basically, uh, Muslims don't have pure praying. So, so where do we go with this? Well, one way that religious scholars break down the approach of religious traditions to other religious traditions is that they, they split, uh, they categorize it in three different uh, categories. Uh, and the category, categories are exclusivity, exclusivity inclusivity, and, and plur, the pluralism, you could say, or pluralistic views. And so, if we make a quick, uh, give some quick examples, the exclusive view, most of the traditional uh, mainstream Abrahamic religions have an exclusive view. So basically it means our path is the only path. And actually every other path is 
uh, demonic, really. Uh, the, every other path, every other way of seeing the world and seeing life is trying to get us by temptation to get off the one true path. And there's only one attainment, which is the Abrahamic idea of heaven, and everybody else is going to hell. And that's, that's like the most extreme form of an exclusive spiritual approach. And then the inclusive idea is that we, our path has the highest idea, but other people have, you know, some good ideas too, but they are kind of like a little adulterated, uh, but they're actually, we have the original right idea of how things are and other paths have some good things, but it's all in relation to the framework that we have about reality. And you could say that Gaudiya Vaishnavism is in that category, but I'll go further with that. But for now, let's say that we are in that inclusive uh, category, which means that we tolerate other spiritual paths, but we think that they have a partial understanding of reality. And then the pluralistic uh, understanding is that there are many paths to transcendence. And the most pluralistic ones say that every path actually leads to God. And in fact, Gita says this in a way, he says, Krishna says directly that every person follows his path, that you can't, in, in one way or another, you're following the path of Krishna. And so that would be the pluralistic idea. And the general understanding is that Buddhists and, and uh, Advaita Vedanta fall in this pluralistic category because they say, well, there's many ways to practice. And then you'll end up in perfection eventually. But so this is where it gets really interesting. So if you, I'll give you an example. My, I had a friend, one of my best friends from growing up. Uh, he, when I was a brahmachari, he contacted me and he said, I have become a Buddhist. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. He was very vaguely spiritual, but not very much. And I was like, well, that's pretty hardcore because did you know that your, your uh, ultimate goal is to completely cease to exist as a person? And he was like, wait, wait it's not saying that, is it? And I'm like, yeah, that is your go the path you identify with. And then he looked into it. He was like, yeah, I'm not a Buddhist. <laughs> and it really cracked me up because it really shows you how good I mean, if you want to sound a little facetious, it really shows you how good the Buddhists actually are in their PR, that they get so many people to even like identify as Buddhists. And so many of them actually don't understand what the whole path is for. And so uh, like Dalai Lama, for example, and I have, I'm, I'm not dissing Buddhists. I'm, I'm just saying that they're, they're kind of doing their propaganda really well. But Dalai Lama, for example, has said, it's better for you to probably uh, just practice your own faith, whatever faith comes from your own culture, because that's more natural for you. So it seems completely pluralistic. You know, just do your thing and you'll be liberated, basically. But the thing is, if you dig deeper, the Buddhists are not saying that there are many different kinds of perfections. What they are saying is, no, we don't have a soul but you can use different spiritual traditions to purify your consciousness so that you come closer to the Buddhist ideal of the Buddha consciousness. And so actually that could be categorized as a at the the goal it's actually you could say an exclusive path in a way it, it talks about the the final destination and interestingly the same applies to advaita vedanta they they say you can do bhakti if you're a little emotional or you can do karma if you're attached to uh uh you know doing stuff or you can do gyan if you're you know like you know the cool guys who just can sit and meditate 
But then when you look at the, the final destination, it's all one. There is no different uh, types of perfection. And again, a seemingly pluralistic tradition is actually exclusive in the way of its final destination. It's all the same thing. But then, then comes the, come the, you know, the sectarian Gordius, right? And <laughs> if you look at the, the final destination of the Gordias, it's really unique. You can actually merge with Brahman if you want to. That's, you know, that's Brahma, Brahma um, Siddhi. Or there's, there's uh, Prakriti Nirvan. You can merge with the uh, material existence and will apparently cease to exist. We don't, I don't think Gaudias would say that the soul can actually be, uh, no, yeah, we wouldn't say that. So, but anyway, you can have the experience of, of the Brahma Nirvan. And there's a whole variety of different kinds of attainments in, uh, in transcendence. I mean, I mean, uh, Shirla Shidarmaj went as far as to say that there's this like Jesus Loka somewhere in the Vaikuntha, you know, realm, this like planet where Jesus is kind of like the Vishnu of the center of the whole thing. And the people who are really there is today of his Jesus, they go there. And I mean, of course, that's not anywhere in the Veda. It was his, either his projection or his uh, generosity. So what I'm trying to say is, Actually, the, when you don't focus on the way Gaudiya Vaishnavism plays out in the world, but you look at how, what the final destination is, it's extremely pluralistic. And that's such a far out idea, actually, that the final destination is not one and the same for all the souls. But the basis of it is the same, like Prem Das Babaji was explaining earlier, that up to the point of moksha, it is the same. We have absolutely nothing to do with the material reality. But then once you go across that border, you can have different kinds of destinations for an eternity. And they're all, from one point of view, they're all just as perfect. And that's just such a far out idea. And when we start feeling like Gaudiya Vaishnavism is sectarian, like you read the Chaitanya Charitamrita and it seems like it's bashing like every other tradition, it's really good to focus on the the final goal and how extremely accommodating it is in that way. And uh, one funny thing I wanted to mention about this was that um, we normally tend to think that Buddhists are pluralist, but I just recently heard that there are, my understanding is many Buddhist sects that read all these other traditions and other gods and, and uh, saints the same way that Gaudiya Vaishnavism says that, for example, that yes, Jesus was a guru. Can you hear me? Okay. So my point was that that basically, uh, like the, the way Gaudiya Vaishnavism kind of subsume, subsumes other traditions into its own canon by saying like, okay, Buddha was actually an incarnation of Krishna and Sankar was an incarnation of Vishnu. The Buddhists have a similar thing, certain sects. They say that, for example, that Krishna was actually this one type of Buddha who came to the world to preach, preach Buddha Dharma in a way that was accessible to that people of that culture and time. So they turn the same thing exactly upside down and say the same thing about our goal, what we might say about them. So, so this thing seems to go on a lot. But anyway, I think I'm gonna leave it there. And I didn't wasn't able to go through everything I was gonna go through, but it's getting late and i wanted to open it up if you guys have any comments or questions now, this is a pretty uh, hot 
topic in a lot of ways, at least I would imagine it is. So maybe there's some comments or questions. Let's see. Hare Krishna. Hare Bo. Can I have a question? Mm -hmm. uh, so like the people are not like buying those things like that you say that Buddha is just Krishna as you mentioned because they, they have such deep rooted like this voidistic philosophy or how to say it. So what is the only way is only just bring them somehow the experience or how you can explain them yeah that's a good question i mean basically we we create some scars by the the practice that we do and so we have bhakti scars. buddhists have up there particular samskar samskars and advaita vedantins have their samskars and so it's very hard to like break through and have a sense of the other path some scars i suppose so it's it's very hard to like give a taste of let's say like like we might sometimes have this taste for chanting for example we feel bliss uh and that can actually happen to people who don't believe in the shuddha bhakti tradition it because it's the holy name is so powerful that that happens and that's why even mayavadis or Brahmagyanis, they, they use the Maha Mantra sometimes to, to meditate. Or they do Kirtan, for example. But to have that like actual like flash of like our relationship with God and that little like Baba Bas or whatever comes when we sometimes have these peak experiences, I don't really know how to share that because it's based on this certain framework and this certain sambanda and if you don't have that you're not going to have the same experience so i really don't have an answer but of course then one question is if there is any kind of objective yardstick to to compare different traditions and this is always a, a little bit of a slippery slope because we're of course we're like um uh bound to kind of see things from our own perspective as as human beings but one way you could look at this is uh, that the idea of it's called rasa vichar so you 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 uh what's the vichar in, in english um you kind of like view um i can't find the word but anyway you 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 discriminate based on rasa the the idea of spiritual uh rasa or nectar or whatever you want however you want to um, translate it and if if that's your yardstick then it seems clear that they're just at least i don't know of any other path and i don't want to be sectarian i that's one thing i really dislike personally so i'm not saying this from a, a sectarian standpoint but if you just I mean, I've never seen any other tradition that has this kind of emphasis on the ras, the, the like pure ecstasy and love for God that is so close that, that God shows up in these like seemingly everyday forms. And so I guess it comes down to what do you want spiritually? If you, if you want complete peace and like if you just want to merge with everything, then Buddhism is your path. But if you feel like the ras or the taste of love of God, you know, this like pure and unadulterated love and connection with the absolute is what you want, then Gaudiya Vaishnavism is like a great path. And I guess that comes down to what I was talking about earlier, that there are different perfections. And so in that way, you could say that you just pick one and go for it. So... I don't know. I'm kind of like thinking out loud, but I, I can't really give any good answer to how, how to give them that taste. 
I mean, you can give him Prashad, I guess, but <laughs> there's some taste for you. I don't know. A good question. I don't have any any ready answers, really. Yeah, thank you very much. This Rasa Vichar. Yeah. It's a nice way of looking at it. Anything else? Let me do a real quick survey. You can uh, say yes or no in the chat if this is these topics are uncomfortable for you. Hmm. Well, that's very nice. So far, everybody has said no, not uncomfortable. Oh, yes, uncomfortable. always saying how this this is like just shows how all religions are just like um ridiculous that they fight over these things and they all say they are right but it, it's really just a lack of like a broader perspective on how there are these different viewpoints and if you think about a lot of the Abrahamic religions, they maybe they need it for their faith to be so exclusivist. I mean, it's it's quite extreme and it's very unfortunate when it plays out into actual acts of violence and and uh, things like that. But but if you only think about what they need for their faith, it can be extremely uh, powerful to feel like you're the ones. You know, the whole world is uh, you know going to hell and we're going to, you know, fast track to heaven. And I mean, it's of course, a lot of times, I know many Christians kind of feel bad about the idea that everybody else is going to burn in hell and everything. And there's, you know, they have good hearts and everything, but it can be very powerful in terms of just boosting your faith, basically. And from that point of view, even that exclusive idea can be a positive, although I wouldn't say this to my mom, is friends but but from the point of view if you understand faith and you if you relate to purifying your existence and going to this better uh, uh state of existence then that can be seen as a as a positive thing that has some very negative consequences sometimes anything else Okay, I've probably talked enough. Um, yeah, uh, that's it. Uh, one small uh, announcement is that um, Guru Maharaj and uh, Padmanabh Maharaj are going to start giving classes on the 20th. So I am going to stop giving these classes for that time period. It's going to be a month. And then I'm going to continue from where we left off today on the, I think, the 20th of January or something like that. So I very much hope to see you all there. So I very much enjoy this. I mean, appreciate this opportunity to be able to talk about these things with you guys. And I very much appreciate you having the tolerance to listen to me babble. So uh, let's carry it and keep it on. And thanks so much. Go to Pramananda. Haribo.